Let's open God's Word this morning to Acts 24. Acts 24, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 27, the whole chapter this morning. Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. Now we know in uh, chapter 23, right at the end of the chapter, Paul had been brought to Caesarea to stand trial in front of Felix. Uh, right there at the very end of the chapter, Felix had agreed to hear his case. And so when we come to chapter 24, that's what the entire chapter is about. It's about Paul before Felix and uh, his trial. He would have uh, the high priest and the elders would come and present the case against him. And then Paul would give a defense, and then it would be time for Felix to give a verdict. And what we see in this chapter is the danger, this is the theme that really emerges from this chapter, the danger of spiritual procrastination. Now, most procrastination is not good in our lives. A lot of times we procrastinate, we put things off until it's, you know, so much stress on us that we can't, uh, we can't get through it all sometimes because of all the, the stress that's on us. But these things that happen in life that we procrastinate about are nothing, absolutely nothing compared to spiritual procrastination. Uh, when a person puts off salvation, when a person puts off uh, getting right with God, any type of spiritual procrastination is a very dangerous thing. And that's what really emerges from these verses that we'll look at uh, here in Acts 24. And so let's read our text. I want to read down through verse 21, and then we'll pick up, when we get to it in the message, we'll pick up with verse 22 and read those verses. It says, Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullus. These gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation saying, Seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity uh, in, is uh, being brought to the nation by your foresight. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious with you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man, and he's speaking, of course, of Paul here. We have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him. I want to pause right there just to mention that the words that come next, uh, beginning here in verse 6, running all the way down through the first part of verse 8, are not in the oldest and most reliable manuscripts. Uh, I think in, if you have an ESV, if you're reading from the ESV, you don't even find these next words that I'm about to read in that translation. If you have the New American Standard, they're probably bracketed off, as I recall, and so uh, there's, there's some question, but I want to present these, uh, and we're going we're to deal with them uh, as if they are part of, of the Scripture because they're, they're in the version that I have, and I think there's some things here that, that uh, we could take note of. But it says, he, he tried to profane the temple, and we seized him, and wanted to judge him according to our law. 
But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. And so that's the end of the section that is not in the oldest and, and most reliable manuscripts. So we pick up then in the middle of verse 8, it says, By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. And then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered. Now here Paul begins his defense. He says, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things of which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. Or else let those who are here themselves say if they have found any wrongdoing in me, while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement which I cried out, standing among them, concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. And picking up in verse 22 and going to the end of the chapter, we will have the verdict, or really the lack of a verdict, by uh, Felix. And so we'll read those verses when we come to them. Now, Let's go to the Lord in prayer again before we begin the message this morning. Father, I ask you now to, Lord, to control me by your Spirit. Lord, to fill me with your Spirit. Uh, Lord, to use me during this time to preach your Word. I thank you for the wonderful privilege of being able to preach your Word. There's no greater privilege in my life than to stand with the open Bible in front of me and preach to these hungry hearts, Lord, that are before you today. And, Lord, they want to know what your word says so that they can obey it and live by it and, Lord, be enriched by it. And, Lord, we all together now worship you uh, in this time. Lord, it's not that we have had a time of worship and now a time of Bible study, but this time of Bible study is worship to you as we give our, ourselves to you and as we come before you to, to see what your word says. We give our full attention now to your word and we ask you to help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we sang these hymns a few minutes ago. It just occurred to me while I was praying, and there was one thing that, that all of the hymns, except the last one was not this way, but the first hymns that we sang today were all hymns that were sung to the Lord. The words of those hymns were like prayers, and I love to sing uh, those kind of hymns. And, and uh, the time of worship we usually think of as just the singing, but it's, it's obviously... The entire service is about God and being in His presence and knowing that He's watching. And we 
pray that he takes pleasure in our worship this morning. Now, Felix takes center stage here in chapter 24. Uh, During this trial, during the time that he spent with Paul, and we'll see that at the end of the chapter, this is really the time of his life. Uh, He lived an entire life, but only these things that we have here in in chapter 24 are really what he's remembered for. Uh, There's some things about him in history, just little snippets here and there about him in history, but this is really Felix taking center stage. How would he respond in this case against Paul? And then at the end of the chapter, how would he respond as Paul witnessed to him, as he called for Paul and Paul came before him and his wife, Drusilla. And, and uh, we know how Paul would have responded in a time like that, that over and over again he would have impressed the truth of the gospel on the heart of Felix. And so we want to see how Felix uh, responds in this chapter. This is his time. He's on center stage in the Bible here. What, what will he do? Now, what do we know about this man, Felix? What, what is, uh, who, who is he? Well, we know from history, some of those little snippets that I talked about, that he is a former slave. He was a slave that Claudius the emperor set free. He gave him his freedom. Uh, He later appointed him as the procurator or the governor of the Roman province of Judea. Uh, That appointment came in A.D. 52. Uh, History tells us that Felix was not a very good guy. He used his office for his personal gain. He did so at the expense of the people that were there in Judea, especially the Jews, and uh, took advantage of them and, and uh, did, uh, was very brutal toward them in many ways. Uh, in fact, one of the writers says that his tenure in office was characterized by excessively brutal enforcement, especially when it came to tax collection and keeping the peace. And he knew that his opportunity to be in that position as governor depended on keeping the peace. The one thing that was wanted from Rome was no disturbance. And if there was any type of disturbance, then the governor would be held responsible for it. So when he would have the least sign of any uprising or anything that would be uh, an issue, he would put it down just as quickly as he could. And he remained in office until AD 60, at which time he was replaced by the Emperor Nero, and the reason he was replaced, the very reason he was replaced is because he took that too far and he was so brutal that it was even too brutal for Rome. If you could imagine that, they said, listen, you're stirring up insurrection by how brutal you are. Tacitus, who was the Roman historian and a politician, he said about Felix that he exercised the power of a king with the disposition of, of a slave. In other words, he didn't really have the wisdom. He didn't have the understanding about the people that he ruled over. And he didn't have the practical knowledge to know how to be uh, the governor. I couldn't help but think that sounds a lot like a, a lot of our politicians today, doesn't it? I think Felix would fit right in today. And this trial of Paul before Felix most likely took place sometime during, during the year A.D. 58. I want to just use the, the simple outline that's you know, just so obvious here in this chapter. I want us to look first at the case against Paul, secondly, Paul's defense, and then finally we're going to see the delayed verdict from Felix. Now, starting in verse 1, the case against Paul. 
Ananias, the high priest, comes down with some of the elders. They bring a man who's called an orator, Tertullus, to come with him. Um, Tertullus was a, an orator. That word orator just means that he was a public speaker, a person who was gifted with rhetoric, someone who would have been used to present a case uh, of any kind, uh, and even a legal case in this, in this sense. So he was an attorney. We might call him today a special prosecutor. The high priest and those Jews that had come from Jerusalem, they brought with them a special prosecutor to speak against Paul. And uh, Tertullus proves himself to be quite an orator. Verses 2 and following, he really lays it on thick here with all the flattery that he gives. He, uh, you know, if you take all of the verses given together here about what Tertullus said, half of it was just trying to flatter Felix and get on his good side with words. Uh, he talked about the great peace that they enjoyed, the prosperity. He, he's given all the credit to, to Felix for that. Uh, he calls him most noble Felix there in verse 3. Uh, and he says, with, with all thankfulness, we, we thank you for all that you're doing for us. And then he, he begins to, to make his prosecution. Now, it was all just a lot of hooey because in reality... The Jews and Ananias and those people, they could not stand Felix because of the way Felix had, had dealt with such a heavy hand with them. And so all of this is just a lot, lot of oratorical rhetoric to begin uh, his presentation against Paul. Now, when we come to verse 5, Tertullus begins to make his presentation against Paul. And there's really three charges that he brings up about Paul, none of these could be proven. These were not things that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that were true about Paul. But these were things that, that uh, by spinning words in a certain way, they, they made Paul look bad. And you can just see that beginning in verse 5. He says, this man is a plague. How would you like to be called a plague by somebody? He even tried, it, it says, well, the word plague, let me just tell you about it first of all, just simply means a pest. The King James Version, the old King James says that he was a pestilent fellow, uh, a public nuisance, and he was like a disease is ultimately what Tertullus is saying there. Now, there's no, uh, you know, nothing there that, that could be proven, nothing there that could be spoken against Paul by anyone other than just the, the spin that was put on him to make him look like he was not a good man. And it says that he was trying to stir up dissension among all the Jews throughout the whole world, throughout all of the Roman Empire. And so that's the first charge, really, that they bring against him, is that he was, uh, you know what, that he, he was someone who stirred up insurrection, someone who stirred up uh, an uproar, dissension, sedition, against the empire and against uh, all, you know, everywhere he went, all throughout the world. The second charge is right at the end of verse 5, and it says that he was the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. And that's speaking there about Jesus of, of Nazareth. He was a leader of a sect, it's called. That's a faction. That, uh, that What the word means is a faction, and it's based on... Uh, having a different belief, and so it's, it has to do with what you believe, and it separated them from the other Jews. 
And what they were really trying to do here was to drive a wedge uh, between Paul and, and the rest of the Jewish faith and saying he's part of a faith that has not been approved by the Roman government. They wanted to present that to Felix as, a, as something that would be an issue in the case. And then in verse 6, the third charge was that he, would, that he had profaned the temple. He tried to profane the temple, it says there in verse 6. And it's, that's where it says we seized him and we wanted to, to execute justice ourselves at that time. But the commander Lysias came by. And all of this is, is true, what's, what's listed here. Lysias, of course, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands. Now, they, they end up, Tertullus ends up by saying that uh, by examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And then the rest of the Jews assented as Tertullus spoke. Uh, they maintained that these things were so. I guess they were saying amen uh, as Tertullus spoke. And so three charges. First of all, he was a seditionist or an insurrectionist, stirring up dissension throughout the entire Roman Empire. Secondly, he was the ringleader of the people who followed Jesus and uh, that this was an unapproved separate sect or cult, and then finally one who had profaned the temple. Now, it was all spin, as we said. This is not anything that, that could, have been, could have been proven, not anything that would have been worthy of imprisonment or death, but the words are put together in such a way as to, as to make Paul look as bad as he could possibly look to Felix. And then secondly, we see, beginning in verse 10, Paul's defense. And here Paul refutes each one of these charges. He takes each one of these charges and addresses them individually and refutes them. Uh, he, first of all, in, in verse 10, he does begin with some, I guess you would say some rhetoric of his own, but he didn't lay it on nearly as thick as Tertullus had done, but he just, he just says that you've been a judge, Felix, for many years, and so I trust you to, to uh, hear my case as I present it to you. But starting in verse 11, he addressed the charges that had, that had been made against him. And he tells him, first of all, I've only been, I'd only been in Jerusalem, only came to Jerusalem 12 days ago. I haven't had time to to stir up any insurrection. They, they never saw me anywhere in, in synagogues or anywhere else trying to stir up any type of sedition or insurrection. Uh, that just didn't happen during that short amount of time that I was there. He was only there just uh, you know, six days or so. He says they didn't find me disputing with anyone, didn't find me inciting the crowd, and, and they can't prove any of these things uh, that they're now accusing me of. And so first of all, he, he addresses that charge. He says, I haven't had enough time. From the time I first arrived in Jerusalem, there's not been enough time to gather an insurrection. Secondly, starting in verse 14, he addressed the charge that he was the ringleader of a sect. And here he says that he, that he calls it the way. That's the phrase that we've seen over and over again in the book of Acts. Uh, the way, meaning the followers of Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. And so his followers were on the way as they followed him. It's a, really a beautiful description of what the Christian life is all about. And then he says, I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And so he's trying to, to, trying to let uh, 
Felix know that, uh, that he's not out in, in left field. He believes the same Old Testament that they believe, but only now with the addition being that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Savior. And he sums it all up in verse 5 by saying, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And I can't help but think that right here, what Paul is doing, he has really lapsed into maybe speaking to the, to the Jews that were there accusing him and to Felix and any one of the other government officials that were, that were there listening. Now just, just think about this for just a moment. He's talking to them and saying, you're going to face God someday. You that are hearing my case right now, you who have brought these accusations against me, you're going to face God someday because all will be raised and will face God, both the just and the unjust. And he's, he's letting Felix know that he is going to have to answer to God for how he decides that case. So Paul was trying to be his own defense attorney, but he couldn't help it. He lapsed over into a sermon right at this point. He began to preach to these people. There is a resurrection coming of the just and the unjust, and you will stand before God someday. And could I say to us this morning, that's something for us to take note of and to think about. Something for us to see in the Scripture this morning as we pass by it to remember that we will stand before God someday. You will stand before God. You'll be judged for how you've lived in this life. And unless you come to Jesus Christ as Savior and have your sins forgiven, you'll stand there condemned in your sins before God. And Paul goes on in verse 16 to say, that I myself, because of, because of this belief in the resurrection of the just and the unjust, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. And then the question of why he was in the temple area, he rehearses that in verses 17 and following. He lets Felix know that he came to bring that offering for his people, for my nation, he says at the end of verse 17. Uh, they found me there purified. He was going through the ritual of purification. He had every right to be in that temple area at that time. He had not brought any Gentiles in with him as they had claimed when he was there in Jerusalem. And he says that he, they didn't find him stirring up any tumult or any kind of mob there in the temple area. And in verse 19, he says, if, if anyone has, if any of these Jews from Asia that made that accusation, they, they ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me or those that are here ought to speak up and object. Now, none of them did because they didn't want to be caught lying uh, to Felix in a situation like that. He said, the only thing that I might, you might consider that I would be guilty of is when I stood before the Sanhedrin, verse 21, look at verse 21, Concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. That goes back to chapter 23, verse 6, is where he had made that statement before the Sanhedrin. And so, Felix, no doubt, had heard the case now against Paul. He had heard the defense of Paul. Now, here's... Here's what he would have had to have come to 
as a judge, as a just judge, if he was going to be a just judge, he would have to have said there is no evidence. These charges, you've made some charges here against Paul, but there's no evidence that these charges are true. And the Romans were very, in fact, we get a lot of our judicial system in this country and a lot of the principles of our judicial system date back to the Roman Empire and that is one of the rules. You, can't, you can make all the accusations you want, but they don't hold up in court unless there's some evidence that's there. And so Felix had heard the case against Paul. He'd heard Paul's defense. But I want us to see thirdly, starting in verse 22, what I'm calling the delayed verdict. The delayed verdict. It says, but. Paul had made a great defense of himself before Felix. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way. Now that, that phrase becomes very crucial in our understanding of Felix. That's going to be an important phrase before this sermon is over. So just take note of it. He had a more accurate knowledge of the way. Uh, that just means a more exact knowledge of what Christianity was all about. He had a very accurate understanding about Christianity. And so he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. And so he tells Paul, I'm going to have to wait until Lysias comes. There's no record that Lysias ever came and stood before Felix in Caesarea. And if he had come, we would know what he was going to say anyway. In fact, it was in the letter. Felix knew, knew this. He had read the letter. If you look back in chapter 23, you see the letter that Lysias sent to Felix. If you look in verse 29, what he said in that letter, he said, I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. So Felix had already read that. He knew that. He knew that Paul was not guilty, or at least couldn't be proven guilty in these matters. But he wouldn't make a decision. He delayed in making the decision. Now he felt some sympathy, obviously, towards Paul, because in verse 23 it says, So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and told him not to forbid any of his friends to, to provide for or visit. Him. And so he showed some leniency here to Paul. Uh, even though Paul was still under arrest, he had a certain amount of freedom to, to move about there while he was under guard. And so Felix, even though he had all the information he needed to make a right decision, he delayed giving his verdict in Paul's case. But now starting in verse 24, there's something that's even more important it comes up. There's another decision. And this begins to be the pattern of Felix's life. Another decision that he delayed. And it says, After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning, not the case that was against him with the Jews, but heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now Drusilla is quite a character herself. She was the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I was mentioned back in our study in Acts back in chapter 12 of, 
of Acts. And he is the one who came out and made a great speech in front of the people. And the people began to give him all the glory as if he was God. And he didn't refuse that glory. And the Bible says there that the angel struck him and he was eaten by worms. Right there beginning at that point. And he died. And so that's Drusilla's father. And then her brother is Herod Agrippa II. We're going to see him in the next chapter, chapter 25. And so uh, he, of course, assumed the throne after his father had died. And uh, Josephus tells us that she had been given in marriage to another king and another domain, but that Felix had enticed her and used some deceptive things to entice her away and come be his wife, and she was willing to do it. She was still a teenager at this point. That's some of the things that we know about Drusilla. And we also knows, know that she was Jewish, of course, being uh, the daughter of Herod. And so uh, he sent for Paul. Felix sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And so Drusilla and Felix come to hear what Paul has to say about faith in Christ. And verse 25 is a key verse in our whole text today. One of the reasons I've saved it till this point in the sermon, just so you'll focus on it. If you've missed everything else I've said up until this point, don't miss verse 25. It says, As he reasoned, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and about self-control, that is the sin really of, of, of being unchaste, which uh, Drusilla and Felix obviously were. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and about sin, the sin of lack of self-control, and the judgment to come. Now, let me just pause right there and say that those are the three areas that when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, you can go to John chapter 16 and look in verse 8, and there in John 16, 8 it says, When He has come, He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so Paul based his testimony to Felix on those three things. And those are three great things to talk about when you, when you give a witness for Christ. The, the uh, lack of righteousness that we have. We have no righteousness of our own to commend us to God. We do have sin that condemns us before God apart from Christ. And there's judgment looming ahead for anyone who stands before God in their own sins. And look at what happens here. It says, Felix was afraid. He was fearful, frightened. He was alarmed is another way to translate that word. The King James Version says he trembled. He was afraid. And he answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time or a convenient season. He's not just talking about when I've got more time. It's not like his schedule was so busy that he didn't have any more time right then. He's saying when there's a more convenient season. Later in my life, maybe I'll hear you again about this matter. A convenient season. You know, some people, when they hear about Christ, they, they think, well, this is, this, these things are true and I need to give my life over to Christ. But they fail to do so they, because they're so caught up in their sin. Jesus said this. He said, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. He called for Paul several other times, but there's something different in verse 26. There's no more fear. There's no more trembling. 
He hoped that money would be given to him by Paul, that he might release him. And therefore he sent him more often, sent for him more often and conversed with him. Now verse 25, back to verse 25. Paul witnesses to Felix and Felix has great fear, great trembling about the condition of his soul. But he sends Paul away at that time. But when he, when he comes back before him again, there's no more conviction. He's wanting to get something out of the situation. And here was the ultimate end of Felix in the Scripture. It says, After two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix. And Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor because of the politics that were involved here, he left Paul bound for two more years. And, and Felix was removed from office in A.D. 60. And he, needed, he knew that the, some things were beginning to unravel in his administration as governor. He knew that the Jews, he would need the Jews to be on his side as much as possible before Nero. And so... At the end of verse 27, he leaves Paul bound. He, he never decides the case about Paul. He leaves that for his successor. And there's no record anywhere ever that Felix ever decided about Christ and about the witness that Paul had given him. And so this pattern emerges. Now I want you to listen carefully as I wrap this up. This pattern emerges. He had sufficient knowledge... Felix had sufficient knowledge to make the right decision. He had, he had heard about the way. And he had, it says, accurate, uh, very accurate knowledge about the way. And don't you know that Paul, when Paul witnessed to him, don't you know that Paul told him how to be saved? What a person had to do to be saved? About trusting in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Trusting in what he did on Calvary's cross as the payment for your sins, understanding that He rose from the dead and that He's alive to be the Lord of our lives. Don't you know that Paul told him all of that in those times when he met with him? But the story about Felix is this. He delayed. He procrastinated. He put off making a decision about Paul. Not just the case, the legal case against Paul, but he put off making a decision about Jesus Christ. Now, I want to, uh, to wrap this up like this. I'd like you just to, just to hear these, these final words of this message today. God's Word pleads with man not to delay coming to God for salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7 say this, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake His way and the unrighteous man His thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and He will have mercy on him and to our God for He will abundantly pardon. Hebrews twice says this, Do not harden your hearts. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Felix trembled, but it was just for a moment. He got a glimpse 
of his eternal soul and the and the, the danger that faced him in eternity for just a moment, and it terrified him. But he never came back to that moment again. He, his heart became hardened by sin. And so far as we know, he never trusted Christ. During my reading this week, I read, came across something that Harry Ironside, H.A. Ironside, has written some things about this text of Scripture. And he told the story about something that happened to him when he was 12 years old. He had gone to hear D.L. Moody preach, and it was in a large arena in Chicago. Great theater there. There were about 10,000 people there, roughly there. He was 12 years old, and, and since all the seats were just about taken, he climbed up into the rafters to where he could look down at that large uh, congregation of people. And during the course of his sermon, D.L. Moody said this. He said, of all, all of the people who are here who know Jesus Christ as your Savior, stand up. And there were about 7,000 people out of that congregation who stood up. He said, now, if you came to Christ before the age of 15, sit down. And he said about half of those 7,000 people sat down. Then he said, if you came to Christ before the age of 20, if you're still remaining standing, and you came to Christ before the age of 20, please sit down. And about half again sat down. And he just continued to do this 20, 30, 40. And when he got to 50, there were only about 20 people who were left standing. And the Bible says this. It says, remember now your Creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. And sometimes people have the idea that they can put off trusting Christ, that there will be some time out there in the future, that there's a day in the future, a more convenient season, when they will trust Christ. But they never do. And hell will be populated. Listen to me. Hell will be populated with people who thought they would address their lost condition at some point in the future. But sin, the sin of this life, the sin that, that uh, besets all of us, that so easily besets all of us, has a way of hardening the heart. In a person that's never trusted Christ, the heart does not tend to get softer and softer, but the heart tends to get harder and harder. And it'll never be any easier. I don't care how old you are. If you're 70 years old and you don't know Christ, you might say, well, I've gone way past the 50, preacher. Uh, I've gone way past what uh, D.L. Moody said there. But I want to tell you, it will never be easier for you to be saved than it would be today. If you will come to God today, if you will come to God on His terms, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He'll save you today. There's an old spiritual that uh, when Linda and I were at Dolphin Way years ago, our pastor at that time, Dr. Jerry Vines, he... Uh, he loved certain choruses like this. There was an old spiritual that he loved, and he got the, got the ministry of music to just lead us, and we would sing this sometimes, uh, you know, week after week at times, we would just sing this. He would have us sing this hymn. But the title of the, of the chorus is really a chorus more than a hymn. It's called Get Right With God. And the words are this, Get right with God and do it now. Get right with God and He will show you how. Right down at the cross, 
where Jesus shed His blood. Get right with God. Get right. Get right with God. Let's bow our heads just a moment.